0: First I remember of the group starting was that uh, Dennis went to the beach with Michael Love, our cousin, and uh, when they came back the buzz around the house became, well we're
1: gonna have we're gonna get a group together and, and sing about going to the beach and stuff. <laughs> the
0: official
1: of this is Wyatt in Nashville and I'm here with my friend Jason hey and this is episode 2 of Sail On the Beach Boys podcast we had some really good feedback uh, from you guys on our first episode we really appreciate everybody listening Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it and we hope you guys enjoyed it I hope you enjoy all the episodes coming up we got a lot of stuff planned So, yeah, we have an email address if you want to hit us on that. It's saleonpodcast at gmail.com. We also now have a voicemail number if you want to leave us a recording, and we will play it on the show or ask a question, tell us some comments, tell us what your favorite Beach Boys album is and why, anything like that. Um, The number is 615-606-3887. And just hit us on that, man, whatever you want to do. Play us a song you know, sing us to sleep, whatever you want to
0: do. Later on in the show, we're going to be doing a giveaway. So make sure you stay tuned for that part of the program. All right, let's talk about some recent news. Well, there is a brand new Mike Love album called Unleash the Love. And if you are excited about some new Mike Love music, you get two whole discs worth. You've got one disc of new mic recordings and then another disc of mike and his guys doing some beach boys classics so that just came out through bmg
1: so yeah you guys check that out if you're interested um we'll eventually get to uh talking more about mike love's illustrious solo career down the road looking back with love that's where it's at oh yeah and don't forget first love and oh man country country love love. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's that's five episodes right there. I can't wait to get into that one. That's going to be great. Um, also, next year, if you haven't heard already, Brian Wilson is doing some symphonic tour dates. So, definitely check that out. He's definitely going to be in Nashville a couple days. So, we're going to try and uh, make it to at least one of those shows. Maybe, uh, maybe do some meetups and do some interviews with some fans, get some get some good sound bites for y'all um we'll, we'll pull a van up outside of the the um
0: the venue and we'll just be blasting uh sweet insanity <laughs> you know like you know like the old radio days where the radio station would sit outside the concert well we'll do it sail on truck be looking for it
1: yeah yeah um <laughs> for sure that's our that's gonna be our thing um yeah all right and uh For those of you that don't know, Jason and I play in a a Beach Boys tribute called Sail On, and uh, we've actually got a little time off, but we're going to be back in January playing a show in Selma, North Carolina. Is that right, Jason? That's right. Selma, North Carolina, January 20th at the Rudy Theater.
0: Go to sailonsounds.com and get some tickets. And there's lots of other dates listed on there. But the next one is the Rudy Theater in Selma. So get your tickets because
1: they're on sale right now. and Come hear all your favorite Beach Boys songs. That's right. Check out the tour dates. We're going to be playing a lot of gigs next year. Hopefully coming to your neck of the woods. If we're not and you think we should, hit us up. Totally. Write, us an, write us an email. Send us a voicemail. Um, check us out on the web, com. And yeah, that's it for news. Who determines, Brian, what will be done next?
0: Well, I guess I do. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Today, we are going to start talking about the Beach Boys. <laughs> Great. Uh, we're going to start talking about the first recordings of the Beach Boys, which all began in 1961. So, without getting too far into the backstory of, of the band itself, um, you know, Brian, Carl, Dennis, brothers... Uh, grew up in hawthorne california musical family they had a friend al jardine they had a cousin mike love that's the beach boys that's the group we're talking about the beach boys mark one starting in 1961 and going through about march of 62 um so yeah in the beginning these guys were playing some high school talent shows and stuff like that under a few different names. There was Carl and the Passions. My favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And also um, the Pendletones. And I think that was kind of like the first surfer influence name that they came up with because the surfers were wearing Pendleton shirts, the like plaid shirts that you will see them wear at a lot of their early gigs and on some of their photos, especially on the Surf and safari cover. And as you may have heard earlier, it was Dennis's idea for them to kind of embrace the surfer culture and write songs about surfing.
0: So in September 61, over Labor Day weekend, uh, the Wilsons left the the boys with about $300 food money. Um, Plus they borrowed a little from Al's mom to rent a bunch of gear. Well, they were left the money for food, but they used the money to rent a bunch of gear. And the, the Wilsons came home, found that the boys had <coughs> rented all this gear and were working on music. And Murray initially was furious, you know, got, got into with Brian. But what calmed him down is Brian convinced him, hey, listen to what we've done. And, uh, and that's when things change. One, two, three, go
1: om det 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 the det the murray thought that they showed some potential and he liked the song said it needed some work he brought them into his friend's studio height and dorinda morgan height morgan is a producer also a publisher and they did demos they did the Surfin' demo as well as Two other songs. Um, So let's talk about surfing. Got up this morning, turned off my radio. I was checking on the surfing scene to see if I would go. And when the DJ
0: tells me that the surfing is fine, that's when I know my baby and I will have a good
1: time. I'm going surfing. 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 Surfing is the only life, the only way for me Now surf, surf me. The demo already shows some improvement over the home recording It's faster, the vocals are tighter Mic's more present in the mix And they're just playing a guitar and snapping their fingers And uh, you get a good feel for the song Jason, what's your takeaway from this?
0: Oh, well, there's a couple things I always... I thought about it, you know, listening to everybody, but Mike Love is a teenager. Uh, Yep. So that's my first thing I think about. I mean, I kind of understand the garage nature of the demo, but what always jumps out to me is... And you can tell because the other two songs, which we'll talk about, were not their songs. They were songs by the publisher. But the, the Wilson Love original already has the makings of what is going to be the classic Beach Boys thing. You know, you got these young guys singing three-part, four-part harmony already on something that primitive and easy, which is definitely more of a, you know, has like a doo-wop feel to it because that's what Mike Love was so into. And Brian and him just really came together
1: on that. Right. And this is the only original that they had at the time. And it, it actually is a pretty good song. I mean, for being a bunch of teenagers, like you said, and yeah. Mike Love being 20 at this yeah. point. Um, the lyrics aren't bad at all. I mean, like, the lyrics well, are pretty it's good. Chuck,
0: it's Chuck Berry, man. I mean, he, you know, I guess Dennis basically had filled him in on how the surf reports were and, and right. how all that stuff worked and and got the lingo with Dennis. And, I mean, they just, it, na- it nailed their community, their culture, their friends, their, yeah. their era. And, you know, Mike Love... At his prime was just, you know, he was nailing that all the time. So, I mean, everybody, everything I've read about surfing, every author, anybody, they always say, you can see right
1: off the bat, Mike loves lyrical skill right out the gate. That's true. I, I really, I really believe that. So the next song they did is a song called Luau, and it was actually written by the Morgan's son, Bruce and um it's kind of a silly little song um but it definitely fits the theme like the sort of surfer theme um and they kind of went through some different revisions with this the first demo uh was definitely a little more rough and then you can tell um by the time they come back in for the next session they've worked it out a little bit better and they've rehearsed it and uh it sounds a lot more professional um and I think it's a pretty fun little song. I mean, you know, it definitely, you know, it's it's definitely not one that they actually wanted to put on a record, but it ended up being on the first single, the surfing single. And uh, I think, you know, it fits. They didn't have any other originals, so it was a good one to kind of throw on there. Yeah, I dig the B section on it. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty cool. It's got, it's got
0: a weird, like, minor chord situation, and um, Brian's vocal sells it. For
1: sure. Yeah.
0: Do I, do I, do, you don't need to live in the islands to have a lot of fun. Just pretend you're a most, an island in the sun.
1: One of the things you can take away from these recordings is how great of singers they already were. Um, especially Brian. Like his voice is just incredible. And you know, never Really being in a studio before, never really performing. Like, he's just a natural at it. He's obviously been singing his whole life, and the guys have been harmonizing for years together um, since they oh, were yeah. young. So, um, they just sound awesome. Um, and speaking of that, you know, they did another song at that first demo session called Lavender, which was written by Great. Dorinda Morgan. Uh, it's kind, like kind of a four freshman esque harmony arrangement. And uh, it's just a really nice, pretty tune. Um, didn't end up getting released until much later on some, you know, sort of like rarities compilations. Um, and all this stuff was released at some point um, in the 90s on The Lost, Lost and, and Found, found. Which, um, which was pretty cool when I first found that CD and uh, kind of nerded out about these early sessions. I was going to say, Lavender has that you know, Brian's four freshmen
0: obsession starting to blast through, you know, it's I think it's like a fifties type tune, but you hear he's kinda already uh four freshmen Brianized it when they're recording it. She waits alone.
1: interesting to kind of like listen to this stuff and kind of try and pick out their voices because they they're so young here and Carl's voice isn't anywhere near as strong as it ends up being years later much so you can still kind of pick them out um, at yeah. points and that's really interesting to me um, so yeah they come back after a few weeks on October 3rd and lay down what would become the first single um, they do another version of Surfin and another version of Blue Owl. And that single was what kind of put them on the map. And it came out on Candix Records. Yeah. And when it came out, it had the name Beach Boys on it. And they were surprised because they were the Pendletones at the time. And it turns out that um, Russ Reagan, who was the distributor. A distributor at the time. Later went on to be a big record executive, but he decided to change the name to the Beach Boys. He also considered the Surfers at one point, but um, everybody was happy with the change. No one, no one made a fuss about it. So that was it. They were the Beach Boys, and um, they heard themselves on the radio for the first time and just lost their minds. Dennis called it the all-time moment. I love the story where they talk about um, after
0: it was played the first time, when all the, the brothers would sit around the phone and they had a one of the radio stations had a, like a competition, this song versus that song, who gets your vote, and they all called in using fake voices to get to win the competition or to get the song played. And, right. And, and you know, as 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 we all as super fans, or if you don't know, the tune did go top five in Los Angeles and that's a huge deal because one station started playing it and playing it all like every hour and then the other two pop stations in town started playing it and I mean for a band on a little label that nobody had ever heard of to go I mean it was just instant I mean the sound self-explanatory great song but it just went straight up to, to the top of the charts in L.A.
1: Surfing is the only life, the only way for me. Now, come on, pretty baby, and surf with me, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty remarkable. Um, but, you know, it was also kind of the first of its kind um, surfing was super popular and then the song came out just kind of at the right time and especially on the west coast people just ate it up and a lot of other groups started coming out with surfing songs and all that so it became a real craze at that point um, it was kind of an arms race to see who could put out the next surfing single and uh, you know the Beach Boys had to start kind of thinking about what they were going to do next the single came out in November, and then it came out again in January, and it didn't peak until March, uh, and it peaked at 75 on the U.S. charts. A- as the record was kind of rising the charts, um, the the guys went back in to record some more songs. Brian, having written a few songs, um, Brian and Mike wrote a song that would later be known as one of the most famous songs they ever wrote, and it's a staple in their live set. To this day. Oh, yeah. And it's Surfing Safari. Let's go surfing now. Everybody's learning how come on a safari with me. Come on a safari with me. Early in the morning, we'll be starting out. Some honeys will be baking the scene. I loaded up my woody with the boards on top, and I put on my faded blue jeans. Because we're a on, baby. Waiting see. Yes, I'm going to take surfing safari this version is a very early version it has slightly different lyrics yep. and um you can tell that you know they just it wasn't quite the rock song that it became several months later but it uh it's a great tune um again mike's lyrics are great the guys are singing you know just that trademark three-part backing vocal against the bass and lead I, mean, I think it's
0: interesting, the instrumentation's like a little looser and not as right? You know, uh, grooving as what we know from the Capitol version later on, but the guitar solo on it is still great. And it just shows mm-hmm. that Carl was just rocking from like, I don't know, how old is he here? 15? I mean, he's just, I mean, and it's funny because it's a lot of the similar phrases he plays on the hit version. I mean, this is getting real guitar nerd here for a second, but um, it just it just shows that from the get go he had a signature feel that was a blend of the and Dick Dale thing plus Chuck Berry that nobody I mean it was just so original. He took two things he liked and put it together. So that's what that's what Surf and Safari kinda goes beyond what Surfing was in terms of just, you know,
1: starting to find their, their 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 sound a little more. I think Mike said about this song that he he didn't have a whole lot to say about surfing itself but he loved the idea of going on a surfing safari and he said who wouldn't want to go on a surfing safari just just go hit all the different surf spots they just capture that feeling really well Um, and uh, again at the time you know it was just all the rage so they were (laughs) they were right on the pulse of teen America at that point or at least teen California It was surprising how well the surf songs did in Middle America, Um, places that you know were nowhere near an ocean. They still loved the surf songs, I guess, because it was more about the fantasy. It was escapism, right? Yeah, and that's that's awesome. They they never they never thought that would that would be the case, but it really was. One thing I wanted to say about your um, what you're talking about the
0: lyrics on Surf Safari, you know, again from Mike Loves. you know, lyrical, um, mentor, Chuck Berry, you know, Mike, and he uses this in lots of Beach Boy songs through their whole career. I mean, you know, this, this song, California Girls and so many others, he loves the geographical, um, tour on each song, on, during the song. So I think it's something you hear in early Chuck Berry stuff and then you hear it starting right away and surfing safari. And Mike is just such a master of telling that geographical story.
1: Yeah. I love that. Um, And, you know, I, I think it's also awesome that they had a guy like Dennis who um, could kind of fill them in on what the actual surfing spots were and the special kind of lingo that they used um, to kind of throw that in there and make, make them sound a little bit more legit. Yeah, they, they, had, they had their surfer street cred. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and they, you know, they didn't, at the time, they weren't going to admit that none of them actually surfed except for Dennis. <laughs> yeah, they had but to keep the marketing front. Yeah. Yeah. Brian also brought his song Surfer Girl to the session. And I think this is really interesting. They recorded Surfer Girl, and um, it sounds great, and it's nearly identical vocally to the version that we're all very familiar with but for whatever reason they didn't use the song for about a year and a half and i've always been really curious as to why that was um maybe wilson knew you know that he just he had bigger plans for it or he wanted to wait for the right time or he wanted it to or maybe he was he was always really insecure about his falsetto So maybe he was insecure about how his vocal sounded. Um, I'm not really sure, but it could be just a a bunch of those things. Or maybe they didn't want their image to be, you know, one that was of this high singing guy singing a ballad at that point. But I think, you know, it's obviously one of their best songs from the period. And uh, it's just a... Brian says that it's his first song that he ever wrote. I think maybe he was meaning that it was the first song he wrote Um, Maybe lyrics and music for because they obviously wrote um, surfing before that. But, you know, depending on who you ask, it was about his girlfriend at the time, Judy Bowles, who actually was a surfer. And um, although he claims or quote unquote, he claims in his um, highly controversial autobiography, wouldn't it be nice that it's not about Judy that it was about a non-specific, <laughs> generic surfer girl, but um, I like to think that it's about his girlfriend Judy. Um,
0: Many and, people say that it was. I mean, yeah, I think that that autobiography, you know,
1: whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it's funny. Like, why would you, you know, why would you lie about that? It's just such a weird thing to lie about. Um, I think that
0: that version is you know not as crisp and clear as obviously the the hit but um, probably the reason like you were saying I mean I agree with you the reason why maybe it wasn't used very much till later is because at, at that point in time they were still just trying to get the dance hits the upbeat up tempo and they didn't want to be known as a ballad band and and again I think I I've heard a lot of reports about Brian being insecure about the lead vocal so, I think you nailed it on the head on all that stuff
1: yeah and you know it it was for the best probably because the version that we know today from the album surfer girl is fantastic amazing yeah i mean it's it's it's, one of his best i mean yeah it's a hallmark song i mean it's just you know it's one of the songs that you know defines their career yeah moving on um speaking of the surfer girl or the alleged surfer girl judy Bowles, the next song they did is called judy Another really fun early Brian song, um, really kind of, uh, you know, another song where he kind of flexed his, his vocals a little bit, and he, he it was a little bit more upbeat, and um, you can tell he had some good confidence when he wrote this one and performed it. Oh. yeah super cool song you know again the song that that didn't come out until much later um, on like some rarities compilations and um, I I do think that they were kind of building up songs to put out an album before the Candix label went under Um, for whatever reason they had some financial problems but they never got to do it so um, they did one more song um, at this session on February 3rd a song that actually Carl's credited with writing. It's really just a kind of a boogie woogie um, with Carl playing some, some lead parts over the top um, called Karate or Beach Boy Stomp. I love karate. Yeah, um, it's really cool. It's it's a really nice you know kind of introduction to Carl Wilson. Um, he's 15 years old at this time. He's you know obviously like a really good guitarist for his age. Um, and I don't know. Do you know like what he was playing? Was it a rental guitar at that time? Had he bought like a, a Fender at that point?
0: It could very well be a rental, but I know that he and and David Marks both were. Taking guitar lessons from uh, John Mouse, who right. later was in the, the Walker Brothers, but they were taking guitar lessons from him in their neighborhood or whatever with their strats. So I I don't
1: know. So that that that's a good time to probably bring up David Marks, um, the neighbor of the Wilsons. As Carl started playing guitar, um, he and Dave would kind of get together and jam. And David always kind of was on the outside looking in. Yep. Um, Always wanted to be part of the group, but they already had, you know, Al and Carl playing guitar and didn't need another member. And Brian reportedly just didn't like him. He, like, did not like Dave. He did not like his playing style. Um, And Murray didn't like him either. But so it goes Al Jardine decided to leave the group. There are many different reasons that i've heard for why al left um some say that his parents wanted him to go back to school for dentistry some say that he just thought the beach boys were a flash in the pan and didn't think that they would actually end up being a full-time gig and that he kind of wanted to do his islanders band his folk band um what else have you heard about that jason
0: well i've heard that he there's a bunch of conflicting reports where, like you were saying, he. I think I think the general consensus is that he was kind of dissatisfied after they did surfing. He was just like, well, I want to be do folk music. I don't want to do surf music. And right. he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to school. But in the interim, before he goes to El Camino, he, from what I've read, according to family members and some of the stuff I've read, is he disappeared to Michigan. With right. his family, which is super weird because he never has brought that up. But there's conflicting accounts that like he like went to Michigan for a period of time, and then his family moved back, and when he moved back, he decided to enroll in college. Because the thing is, he could have, he could have kept playing with the guys if he was in school at doing dentistry college because they were it's not like they were working a ton, right? Um, but I think I think the general <clears throat> consensus was. His heart wasn't in it, and he needed to kind of find himself a little bit, I guess. So he decided to enroll in classes after going to Michigan. That's like the long roundabout way.
1: Yeah, Um, and you know the band wasn't really making any money at this point. So in hindsight, it's it's hard to understand um, why he would leave the Beach Boys. But you know, at the time, you know he's nineteen years old and trying to figure out what to do with his life and kind of feeling like, you know, the odd man out. Everybody else is kind of in the Wilson family, so to speak. And um, I just don't think he was as dedicated to the the style of music that they were kind of setting out to make as everyone else was. At that point, you know, he just needed to try something else. Mm. Obviously, he comes back, and we'll, we'll get to that in a later episode. Um, but, yeah, enter David Marks basically they needed a, another member they needed another guitarist and it was just the obvious choice. He's um, a super young kid. he was 13 and um, he could play guitar. He wasn't a super you know strong singer but he could hold he could hold it down. The, I've heard um, that Brian wouldn't let him sing on any of the sessions. but I've also heard that he is singing on a lot of the sessions too so who knows um, But yeah, apparently Brian just was never a big fan of David. And uh, just kind of allowed him to join the group because Murray insisted on it. Um, and you know, I think you know maybe the plan was to eventually get someone else or to get Alan back. So um, yeah, they had, they for whatever look, they it's look, worth,
0: they had looked at a guy who was in another surf band before they decided to let David in. But because they oh, really? got the other guy, yeah, the other guy I can't remember his name right now. But I read somewhere that they looked at this guy who was in another band. And he almost joined, but they just but you know Murray wanted to keep it closer to family and neighbor, you know, because he was like I don't want an outsider in our in our our crew, you know. Alan was like family, and yeah, and, and he, David's you know, like family.
1: I think Murray also wanted complete control of everything yeah. at that point. I think he wanted it to be he wanted someone young enough that he could kind of groom Manipulate. them into one of the Beach Boys and kind of yeah. keep an eye on you know, everything that was going on. He didn't want somebody that was going to come in and try and bring any new ideas or, you know, try and, you know, ruffle any feathers or anything, so to speak. So... Murray um, had,
0: like, a, a love-hate relationship with uh, David's parents, too. They kind of, like... Yeah. They were friends, like, neighbor friends, go to barbecues together, but then they really would butt heads a lot, too.
1: So, so at that point... um the Candix label was kind of going under, and I think as kind of a last-ditch favor to the Morgans, Carl, Brian, Al, after Al had left the group. And, Strange. Um, yeah. And Brian's Brian, wow. Carl, and Dennis's mom, Audrey, went in to sing on some tracks for the Morgans. The Morgans had written two songs that were gonna be put out as a single and they wanted to kind of find a group to sing it and so this kind of fake group um, comprised of some of the Beach Boys was thrown together and brought in to sing over these tracks and um, they dubbed themselves Kenny and the cadets from what I can find out it's all kind of based around the Barbie doll so the Barbie doll came out around that time and was a huge hit and so they had a song called Barbie and they decided to name the band Kenny and the cadets after Ken, the Ken doll yep. and the Ken doll. Um, one of the most popular ones was a Marine. So they decided to call it Kenny and the cadets, like kind of to go along with that. Exactly. Um, and then, so yeah, the song Barbie, which, um, man, I'll tell you, it was, it blew my mind when I heard this song because I didn't know anything about this stuff when I was first digging into the beach boys. And then when I got that lost and found CD, um, probably like 96 or 97 um, when I was just kind of going back through the catalog and I found this CD and that song Barbie was the one that stuck out the most to me it really blew my mind how good Brian sounds on this song and how weird it is that his mom's singing harmony on it <laughs> like yeah. it was such a cool thing to find and I just I couldn't stop listening to this song for like weeks I loved it I still do I think it's great Barbie.
0: thought it, his voice was strong but I, there was something weird about it and for a while i didn't realize that it was somebody else's song yeah and i was like well, why is why is he singing about barbie this is weird <laughs> and then this other tune like you know what what a young girl's made of which kind of reminded me of like sugar and spice yeah you know all things nice which is a it later sounds song, like a leslie
1: but, gore type thing yeah it's like a girl you know?
0: girl like a you know like a a weird girl tune. So I thought these these are weird, but man, the vocals sound really good. And the two things I took away from both of these tunes were: a, obviously Brian's vocals on both are really fantastic because he's so young and so pure sounding. But secondly, it's definitely not the Beach Boys playing the music. No, yeah, not um, at all. It's it's a it's a random, you know, just more kind of homogenized you know lifeless style of 60s 50s 60s style of music so to me it was was always weird it always did stick out a for the great vocal but b for the like wait a minute something's
1: weird here yeah it does feel it does feel weird in the context of the beach boys you know and like that's why um when i first heard it i was kind of taken aback by it and and you know the the arrangements are kind of strange, but and the songs are weird. Um, but these it makes sense now knowing the full story. Um, but man, yeah, just Brian's performance on Barbie especially is just awesome. You know, he just sounds so good. It's effortless. He's just nailing these crazy high notes. Yep. And um, yeah, he's just on, man. He doesn't miss a note. It's just great. And there's several takes, and he just like gets better and better each time. Yeah. Um, really impressive. Well, these
0: these small time publishers and Murray, I mean, they had to have known that they had a once in a lifetime singer here. Oh yeah. And that's and that's why you, you said earlier, oh, this is a favor to them. So it's like, yeah, well, we want to get this kid in here while we can, see if we can cash in one last time before this company folds Oh well, yeah,
1: that was the idea to just like cash in on another big fad, which was the Barbie doll. Right. And, um, and so these were released, right? Yeah, this was released. This was released. Um, yeah, this Randy. is the second release the, that they ever had. Really, I mean, it was it was released yeah. um, on Randy Records, another like small record label at the time, um, in April. And, so the uh, weird
0: the weird thing about Randy Records, yeah, is it was it was created by the Morgans. It was a fake label, like a one off. And I, I looked this up. Oh and, wow. And so they created it as a nod to the guy who owned a much bigger label called Dot Records. Ah. And, and so the name Randy, his name I think was Randy, his first name. So they wanted to like kind of make it seem like people who collected Dot Records. Because back then, you know, they would change, they would give these high numbers, like 322. Really, it was a release one, but they would give these high numbers. So disc jockeys would say, oh, they've released a bunch of stuff. You know, we should play this because if they see like release one, they're like, ah, who are these small times? We're not going to play this. So they created this, you know, this kind of fake named label because they were trying to every every marketing angle they could to, to hit that craze. Like you were saying, and they're like, well, let's give it a name. That's maybe record people and disc jockeys will think, oh, this must be one of dots new labels. We got to play this. So oh, cool! Um,
1: so, kind no, I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Some, some nerd fact there. Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know who actually played these tracks, the backing tracks. Um, I'm assuming it was just some studio musicians. They were done.
0: Um, what I what I did read when I was obviously looking up that weird stuff about Randy was mm-hmm. there's no info on who played what at all. It was stuff yeah. that had been could have been done years before. Okay. Wow. because the, the tune. Because I think they, she wrote the tunes in 1960 or so when the Barbie came out, like, right around that time, and they just hadn't yeah. found the vehicle for it.
1: That makes sense. Because, um, yeah, they they definitely sound a little dated, even for 1962. Yeah. Um, they do sound more like a late 50s um, yeah. style of pop music. I mean, my my
0: speculation is that probably Murray... Said, hey, I want you to record my boys. They've got this surfing tune. And the Morgans, this is speculation, but I feel like this makes sense. And the Morgans probably said, great, you know, we'll do it. We think it's great. We've got some other stuff that I want to get done too. So, kind of in trade, you know, as a favor to us, we want you to cut our Barbie tunes, maybe. That could have been because Murray struck a bunch of deals like that throughout their career, even after they fired him as the manager, which we can talk about way later. With uh, soulful old man sunshine. But, oh uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, they let's backtrack just a little bit. Um, in December, the guys actually booked their first show, and the first show was actually really impressive. Um, they ended up playing an intermission for Dick Dale. Yeah, um, and that's pretty awesome. It was just two songs. And I'm not yep. sure which two songs it was, but I'm gonna go ahead and guess that it was surfing and their hearts were full of spring. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And I I that's totally just a guess because that was kind of the songs that they were they were known for at the time. Um yep. But yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. Like what a first show to have. Like they must have been incredibly nervous. There's no pictures from the show, but it would have been pretty amazing to see. What I've heard
0: is that the show they played during the intermission and it was terrible. Like they played, they had issues, maybe feedback, you know, you ever seen, uh, that thing you do when their first show, (laughs) their first big show. And and like, I can imagine that that's what happened. But, um, they, they, what I've read is Brian was really, really discouraged and really mad about the show. And they didn't get together for a few more to like another week after that to go back to the studio Anyway, um, I've just heard that the show was in between the two surf bands, and it was kind of a disaster, but it still
1: was well-received. I do know um, that they wore some really cheap gold jackets at the show, because they, yeah. they said everyone had a uniform at the time, and they didn't have anything that matched, so they found these, these gold jackets. Um, Local department store. Mike says that they looked lousy, but um, that's what everyone was doing, so they had to do it too. Mike said that the crowd ignored them, and uh, Brian especially was nervous about performing. I think um, I've heard that Al was actually the most enigmatic and kind of was more of a front man at the time when they played those first shows. I think Al was just more of a consummate performer already. So, um, but all the other guys were, were pretty nervous and that makes sense. I mean, they playing, I'm sure there were a lot of people there and I'm sure they were horrified. If you
0: go see a Brian Wilson show now, you always see a kind of a little bit of Al wanting to like be the front man and talk more and then Brian talks. So maybe it's just always his habit, but I've noticed that every yeah. time I've seen him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Plus, you know. Brian's never really been a front man. I mean, right. even when they they tried and pushed him in front, you know, it's just it's just never seemed like his thing. And right. um, that's another reason why Mike is so integral to you know the Beach Boys. Uh, I mean, his contribution as a performer, you know, as well yeah. as a lyricist, are you know unmatched by anyone in the band. So. It's pretty yeah. it's pretty awesome to to hear about these early shows and god I wish there was some video from the first year or so, but there just really isn't anything. There's a um, clip
0: of Surf and Safari from T V
1: Yeah, um where they're lip syncing. Um yeah. but there's no live footage, you know, of anything before sixty three, like late sixty three. Um Maybe I'm wrong. You know, you guys write me, tell me I'm wrong. I love that. Send, send us some clips if you got it. If them. you have any live recordings from 62, then that would be awesome to hear. Because I don't think I've seen any or heard any. Um, another cool show they played that year was on New Year's Eve. It was a Richie Valens memorial concert. And um, they actually played with Ike and Tina Turner at that show. Just pretty interesting. Um,
0: pre Spectre.
1: Yeah, um, and I think at that show um, they played Johnny B. Good and Surfing, and Mike says one other song. At that point, they were playing kind of like the lineup that we know, um, where Brian actually had a bass guitar and amplifier, Carl had electric guitar, Al had an electric. At that point, yeah. um, I think at first, I've heard reports that the first couple shows. Brian wasn't playing anything he was standing with Mike at the microphone and um, Dennis was playing like a kind of like thrown together drum kit and I think Al was playing a stand-up bass and Carl was playing an acoustic guitar that's wow. just a that's like a one take that I've heard and Surf, oh, I can't back that up because there's no pictures but that's somebody that was there actually I found claims that that was the case that brian wasn't playing an instrument and that's really interesting to think about like him being just standing there next to mike (laughs) just like at that point definitely
0: the best player of all of them too
1: yeah which is crazy really really strange to think about that but it makes sense i mean they just didn't have a lot of equipment i think they were you know still trying to throw together what their live set would be because they were kind of a vocal band at first i mean they just wanted to kind of sing and um they obviously couldn't bring a piano with them Um, which was Brian's main instrument. And I'm not sure at what point Brian decided that he was going to play bass because he just kind of, you know, I guess out of necessity, Al started playing bass on a lot of the, Al played bass on a lot of the demos, but um, Brian somehow ended up playing bass and Al switched to guitar.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that was, yeah, they just, maybe Brian felt like he didn't want to just stay on there like Mike, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that that very well could be it, and just that they needed two guitars to fill out the sound, and uh, Brian just said, you know, I guess I'll play bass, there's, there's not much else for me to do up here. I have a uh, feeling one of our listeners is going to call us and tell us. I mean, that would be great. Yeah. I'm going to throw in some more misinformation, just so people will call in and correct us. I like us. that. I like that. So we're going to end this week's discussion there because we're going to pick up next week with an exciting episode about Brian's first collaborator outside of the group, and that's Gary Usher. So you guys can follow along with these recordings and get deeper into all the different takes. If you want to listen to the compilation that recently came out called Becoming the Beach Boys on iTunes or Spotify, or go pick up a CD if you still listen to those things and uh there's a really great little book called the beach boys inception and conception by Stephen j mcparland i really enjoyed it it's kind of uh uh, heavy heavy info it's a lot of info and it's really really a fun read it's got some cool pictures it's got lots of you know in-depth info on these sessions and I I highly recommend it, and if you can get a hold of it, there's also a great book called *Becoming the Beach Boys*, and I'll put a link to where you can buy that as well. Yep. All
0: right. So I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we have a special giveaway, and here's how this will work: We want you to go on iTunes and leave us a review of the show, and you're going to be entered in to a drawing for a free sale on T-shirt. So go in, review us, get your friends to review us, your friends' friends, their two friends, their two friends, and so on and so on. Let's get some great reviews up, and let's give away some T-shirts.
1: Yeah, let's do it. All right. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for writing us. Thank you for calling us. Our email is sailonpodcast at gmail.com. Our phone number is 615-606-3887. As always, music by Will C. www.willcmusic.com Until next time, this is Wyatt. That's Jason. Sail on, sailors.